Elementary folks, you guys can uh, head out, and middle schoolers, you guys are meeting today too, 6th through 8th grade. Can't wait to get out of this place. The old man's getting up to talk. Man, there's some days where you feel like you just need a little time to recover after singing that song, right? Whew. Some days where the, the heaviness of the grace, I guess, just kind of hits you more than others. But Today we're going to be drawing to a close our uh, study here on wonder. And if you've missed us the last uh, few weeks, you can always go to our website which is on your uh, program, and, and watch some of the videos we've been watching, catch up on some of the sermons, might give you a little bit more context on some of, the, of our discussion today. But our look at um, the necessity of wonder in our walk with God began um, with this urging to recover a childlike faith. And, and we looked at Jesus' uh, command to his disciples. He says, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a child, that you will never enter it. And we talked a little bit about the perspective that, that children have in the world, the perspective that all of us as children at one point um, had, and, and how we engage with the world and, and the things going on around us, and that in many ways we've lost that, um, and we lose a little bit of what it means to be um, connected with God in, in the way that he desires. From there, we dug deep into a word um, that we talked about was used over 1,200 times in the Bible, um, that word, Behold. And uh, how many of you like paid attention to that word a little bit more this morning when we sang it in that song, right? We're like, we're behold the falling rain. It's like, yeah, I know what that means now, right? So we talked about that word behold, beholding being a way of seeing, a way of, of having a deeper appreciation for the things that we may be prone to miss because of the, the busyness, the clutter, the distraction in our lives. And then last week we began a discussion on the truth that beauty is the doorway to the gospel. Beauty is the doorway to the gospel, the good news about Jesus. But not just any beauty, specifically seemingly useless and gratuitous beauty, over-the-top beauty, beauty just for the sake of beauty, and what its presence in the world says to us about the God that we say we worship. And so I want, I want this morning, I'm going to walk you through a little journey here, <clears throat> I want you to take a look at these photos. Here we have some bugs. Okay, I just want you to notice. Here's some fish. That is a shrimp. A couple of birds here, different varieties. I mean, what's the point of a peacock, really? It's crazy. Flowers. That's a cave. So is that. beautiful stuff, isn't it? But the question I want to ask is, what's the point? 
What's the point of it all? I mean, do bugs really have to be that beautiful? I mean, I would have a hard time stepping on and squishing one of those pretty bugs, right? <laughs> the ugly bugs I can squash anytime. But man, did you know that there that 10,000 new species of animals are being discovered every year? Did you know that there are over 30,000 species of fish, 950,000 species of insects, 300,000 variations of plants, 10,000 species of birds? I mean, come on, right? What's the point? Have you ever considered that creation could just be simply about getting the work done, right? I mean, the sun could rise and set every day and provide the appropriate amount of heat and light that we need to sustain life here on earth. And we could kind of skip all the colors and all the things that kind of come along with it, right? Just get the job done, right? Fish could exist for food, right? That's a practical use. But 30,000 different kinds of fish, most of which we can't eat, that are just kind of here because, you know, the little ones in your little, you know, unless you're really hungry, I guess. But, you know, trees, right? Trees have lots of purposes, specifically producing oxygen, right? Pretty good purpose for trees. But do the leaves really need to change color in vibrant and beautiful ways every year? Is that necessary? What's the point of music? And on all the different styles and variations and, and the, the number of instruments that are out there. Is it really necessary for Crayola to have 120 different colors of crayons? 23 different shades of red. 23 shades. And why did God make people so diverse? Introverts, extroverts, right? Thinkers, feelers, people who control things, people who just kind of go with the flow visionaries, people that like small details, liberals, conservatives, on and on it goes. I mean, come on, God, just pick a couple types and just make it simple, right? Guys, it's hard enough to figure out one type of woman, right? (laughs) And then they dump you and then you get a new girlfriend and they're totally different than the other one that you just learned all the rules about. Now you got to start over, right? The struggle is real, my friends. (laughs) Holy cow. And we know beauty is important because the devil tries so hard to destroy it. Have you noticed that evil in movies is always portrayed in really dark and drab and cold and lifeless colors? Or I guess the absence somewhat of color, right? And there's no doubt that if Satan can't destroy beauty, that he'll exploit it. And so he'll take something that's meant to be beautiful, a beautiful thing, a beautiful person, and he'll he'll turn it into pornography, or to force prostitution or sexual slavery. Or he makes beauty an idol so that people actually worship the creation instead of the creator because he understands how important it is. And so just in that brief amount of time this morning, I hope I've built a little bit of a case for us this morning that beauty is extremely important to God. But he goes, he goes way out of his way to show us in outrageous and seemingly useless expressions just how much beauty plays in his creation. But what does all that mean for our faith? 
What role does beauty play in the expression of faith that we have and the way in which we worship when we come together here on Sunday morning? What is that all supposed to do for us? If you remember in the video we watched last week, this this Japanese painter guy was talking to us and he said this. He said, the Western church has exiled beauty from its conversation. He talked about how we don't really talk about the importance of beauty in church. We talk a lot about the practical things that we need to know about God. And, and you, when you think about it, too, that, that conversation of beauty gets exiled all over our culture, right? When schools want to cut budgets, what do they cut? The arts, right? But beauty was so important to Jesus. I want you to open your Bibles again. Uh, we looked at this passage last week. We're going to look at it a little bit more deeply. Mark chapter 14. It's page 710. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the Passover and the festival of an unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest uh, Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. When they would have these Jewish festivals, pilgrims would come from all over the Roman Empire to Jerusalem, and the streets would be just crowded with people. So they didn't want to kill Jesus then because they knew that people might riot. It says, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Women would, would keep this perfume as, as, and, and they would anoint their husband-to-be. Um, so that's why she'd been keeping this perfume her whole life. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. That last statement is pretty powerful, right? Wherever the gospel is told throughout the world, people will talk about what she did in memory of her. But we don't usually hear that story, do we? I mean, when we go to to church or to summer camp or we sit down one-on-one in a conversation and we're telling people about what it means to have a relationship with God, I probably would guess that you probably haven't used that story very often in those conversations or in those talks, and those meetings, right? A lot of times we talk about the practical ways for someone to get saved. And so we talk about the events of the cross, or we, we point out some, some verses in Romans, things like, you know, for all have fallen short, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, or for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And those are true things, important things to tell people. But I'm wondering if sometimes the story is a little bit incomplete, Because remember, beauty is the doorway to the gospel. So what do we do with this story? Why were the disciples so upset? 
in, in this scene? Why were they berating Mary for wasting this expensive perfume on Jesus? Could it be that if Jesus acknowledged that Mary's actions were proper and even desirable, that it would demand something of them? That it would demand even something of us today? So if Jesus' response was to validate what she did, what would it demand of the disciples or of you and I? This is me asking you a question. Yeah. Okay, so we would have to kind of evaluate whatever it is we hold dear and kind of say, are we willing to give that away for Christ like she did with this really expensive bottle of perfume? What else? Yeah, Mark? Okay, she was motivated by love instead of just practicality, and so that kind of forces us to ask the same question. Yeah, great. What else? I mean, in a lot of ways, it kind of forces the issue of, of, you know, do we interact with God? Do we connect with God? Do we love God in ways that are just extravagant, gratuitous, over the top? You know, really, I was reading one commentator that said this was really kind of the first time that Jesus is really worshipped. Because for the Jews, it was a really fine line because they, they, they were taught, you know, not to worship men. But then all of a sudden, when God becomes a man, that kind of changes the rules a little bit. And that she was the first one that really, that really worshipped Jesus. And so it was just shocking for these guys. Wouldn't we rather just have Christianity on our own terms? Right, just kind of go to church, give a little bit, serve a little bit. You know, nothing too crazy. Don't draw too much attention to ourselves. Just enough, you know, to kind of make it look like, yeah, we're in this thing, but not enough to really disrupt our lives much. You know, let's be practical here. We don't need to get crazy with this Christianity thing. But Mary worshiped extravagantly because she got it. All along, Jesus has been telling them, you know, at some point in the story, you see a shift in each one of the Gospels, and Jesus kind of says, he, he, he set his face on Jerusalem and started heading there. And he began to tell his disciples, guys, listen, I have to go to Jerusalem, and there I will suffer and die, and that this is all good, this is all part of God's plan. But the disciples didn't want to have anything to do with that. They did not want to believe that that was how this story was going to end. But Mary got it. She understood that in order for us to all be saved, that Jesus was going to have to lay his life down. And she knew that that was her road too, to give all that she had because Jesus was about ready to do the same. Now this morning, uh, we're going to take a little interruption here in my message and we're going to hear from somebody who's got a story of just gratuitous beauty and the impact that that had on her life. And so I want to introduce Shelly Mock to you, wherever she is. 
Come on down. Shelly, um, you might remember, she got baptized just uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, so I'm just going to turn it over to her. Hi. She's not nervous at all. Uh-uh. No, I'm shaky. Okay, so where to begin? It was about 11 years ago that my life started to change. I'm going to call this like the one, two, three strike thing going on here. So when I was younger, I used to get into a lot of trouble. Not just a little, I mean a lot. So my mom had given up on me again, which happened quite a few times. Um, so I went to live with my brother and sister-in-law, Tony and Angie, Mock. Um, it started out okay. All I had to do was really kind of get a job. Well, why would I want to do that when I was too busy hanging on the streets and doing what I wanted to do with my friends? I did have every intention on staying out of trouble. Well, of course, that didn't last long. Um, I started drinking and smoking some pot, and I started to hang out with the people that got me in trouble. One night, Angie let me use her car, which this might all be new to you, Angie. (laughs) Um, I said I was going to go to a friend's house right around the corner. Well, instead, I thought it would be more fun to take my friends to Atchison, Kansas, in Angie's car. So with my luck as it goes, I popped one of her tires. Needless to say, I was a few hours late with her car, and um, there was a lot of yelling. They yelled and yelled, and I lied and lied. Um, So this is where I get kicked out of their home again to see the disappointment. I let them down again. Second time, I lived with them again. I was working at Black Eyed Pea, and Tony and Angie went out of town, and I decided to have a small party at their house. Um, I had everything cleaned up. It looked really good. It really did, until they came home early and found all the vodka bottles in the beer cans sitting in the back porch that I had not taken to the trash yet. So there I was, busted and, well, kicked out again. So, again, I was looking for a place to rent um, because I just moved out of my house. And, again, guess who came into play? Tony and Angie. They had a duplex for rent. So I started working as a bartender, started off in days, and then went to nights. Trying to raise two kids and bartending at night didn't work, especially in the place I was working at the time. I started doing coke in the bathroom with the girls and got into a crappy relationship, verbally abusive, and just all around a piece of crap. Um, So I got a job as a server, and of course there were drugs there also, so that didn't change at all. Um, Half the time I couldn't even pay my rent or it was late, but they never kicked me out. Um, Actually, in the end, they still liked me enough to let me move in from the crappy apartment upstairs to the nice one downstairs. That's when things started to look up. Now, oh, sorry. Okay, I did go to college, and I graduated from Vaderot um, in computer business management, but um, with no experience, you know, it's hard to find a job. So I was still working as a server, and I was up for a promotion, which I was passed for because I was a girl, and they gave it to the guy. So, of course, I was really mad, and I quit my job, not thinking, while I was still living at the duplex, mind you. So it was about 2004, I was still living in the duplex, and again, like I said, I quit my job. So we were at Tony and Angie's opening Christmas presents, and um, I opened one from Angie and Tony, and it was a very nice dress outfit, and it had a note on top of it, and Angie had made, she'd written me a hand letter, hand note, okay, (laughs) and um, 
it said that she knew I was going through hard times and that I could do this, and she wanted to offer me a job at Preferred Title. Of course, I was shaking and crying. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I cried and cried and cried that she gave me this chance again after hurting them so many, so many times. Um, I know my brother was a skeptic. I'd say he was probably the disciple that was like, what's going on here? Um, and I, I would not blame him because of what I did to them and my whole family. I mean, I could not blame them for not even, I could not blame him for thinking it wasn't a good idea. But it was a, still a long road. But Angie took the risk in hiring me. That's what lavish love means. I didn't know that at the time, but she put the trust in me again to give me that job. And it was a beautiful thing, and I won't waste it. Now, 11 years ago, I, now, and now today, 11 years later, I was baptized, and I see how great God is and the change he's making in me. The one day I hope to be able to touch the lives of other people around me and give hope like Angie did me. You will never... You never really know who you touch, but hopefully you will have the chance so that giving the lavish love that God has given us. And I want to thank you guys so much for taking that risk on me and being my little saviors into where I am here 11 years. It still took me a long time, seriously, even working for her. But I'm here, and I give all my praise to you, and I thank you guys very much. I would venture to guess that, uh, you know, any of us, Tony and Angie included, are only able to extend that grace to others when we are in touch with the grace that God has given to us. Some of this talk about beauty might make some of you uncomfortable out there, some of you that maybe that aren't that creative, you know, that kind of like me drew stick figures throughout art class, and you're like, what does this really mean for me? But as you can see, we can show lavish beauty in the way that we love other people. See, Angie believed in Shelley when Shelley couldn't really believe in herself. And that radical generosity towards her was a doorway to the gospel. A doorway that she went through but still took 11 years to finally seal the deal in her life. But it was a huge seed planted. Probably more important than if Shelley had heard 12 sermons Uh, in that moment in her life. She needed to see radical love. So if God cares about beauty so much, and if the Bible says that we as his followers are his ambassadors to this world, he says that we are make he's making his appeal to the world now through us, then what should our lives look like? How should we describe to others what the gospel is? Because see, the, the world is waiting to know, kind of like we looked in the video, is what does this knowledge about God taste like? See, people can get knowledge about God in every city in this country. Bookstores, and they can go online and listen to sermons or turn on the TV to cable channels <laughs> proclaiming God's word day after day after day. But what does all of that taste like? What does it mean What power does it have? See, God calls us to express our love to him in lavish and beautiful ways. So how do we begin to do that? Well, I want to propose to you that maybe we need to begin asking ourselves a new question. 
So anytime we get into any situation with people, maybe the question we need to start asking is this. What would be the beautiful thing to do here? Not just what is the right thing or what might be the logical thing or the practical thing, but what would be the beautiful thing to do here as well? Because sometimes the beautiful thing, oftentimes the beautiful thing doesn't always make sense, right? And even if that story hadn't turned out the way it did, it was still the beautiful thing to do. Because that's what God does for every one of us. He got up on the cross and he died because he believed that each one of us was valuable. Whether or not we return the favor or the praise to him was not the point. When you read about Jesus... When you go to the Bible, instead of, instead of going to it to, to master it, to begin to understand uh, and, and, and you know, get filled with this information of who God is, begin to, to look at the beautiful way that Jesus interacted with people. Don't just get focused up on the words that he said, but look at the way in which he loved people. But most importantly, I think we need to develop a posture A posture like we see in David when he wrote in Psalm 27, verse 4, that says this. David said, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. When I I read this, I always think about, you know, the genie in a bottle. You know, if he had one wish, you know, what would it be? David's wish was that, I want to spend time with you. God, I want to gaze on your beauty all the days of my life. That means more to me than anything this world could offer. And you see, when we create space in our life to begin to behold, to gaze at the beauty of the Lord, it provides fuel for the fire in our life. And I don't mean just gazing at his creation, because we've got plenty of opportunities to do that, but also gazing at his nature, who he is, his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness and his patience and his unconditional love for you and I. And in those moments where we get in touch with and consider the Lord's beauty, it's in those times that we're then inspired to, to go and to love and express that beauty to others. And in that moment, those moments where we connect with him, it's, it's like the aroma of Christ, like that perfume in that room where Mary was pouring it over Jesus' head, that aroma of Christ begins to permeate this world. And we become ambassadors that, that draw other people to the love of God, this overwhelming and gratuitous love. Guys, when we come to the table for communion, man, that's a, it's a beautiful thing. It can be a beautiful thing. We can rush through it and just kind of go through it like we do every other Sunday around here. Or we can take the time to, to pause and behold and to consider the beauty of what it is that we're entering into. This reminder of the story that the God of the universe came down and gave his life so that you and I might be free, we might be loved, we might be whole, we might be healed, we might be forgiven, 
We might be given eternal life to be with him. Man, that is an unbelievable gift that none of us deserve. And we have the opportunities we come to the table to thank him for that, to receive that from him again today, and also to say back to him like Mary did, God, I want my life to be extravagant. I want my love for others and for you to be extravagant. And I don't want to worry about whether it turns out the way that I want it to or whether I've poured out my heart too much and I'm just going to get burned again. Because we've received received love from Christ and he fills up those empty places in our hearts, it allows us to, to love without strings attached, without worried about what we're going to get in return. But it's just a natural overflow. You know what? God was extravagant to me, so I'm going to be extravagant to others free of the return that I might get, the benefit that might come for me. And we be, when we begin to love that way, man, that's when things really start to change. So let's take a, a couple minutes just to be silent as we come before him today. As you come forward, the ushers will dismiss you here in a minute, and you can take off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. And, and if you're gluten-free too, we have uh, crackers up here for you. You can go to the table and grab those as well. Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence this morning and we do just wonder, like all the songs we've been singing lately, we wonder at why you love us so much. God, why do you continue to, to reach out your hand to us? Why did you create us so amazingly? Why did you surround us with this unbelievable beauty that draws us to you? God, why did you lay down your life so that I might live? And God, what is my response supposed to be to that? I can't just take that for granted. I can't just ignore it. It's too much. It's too, it's, it's too costly. I have to respond. God, help us to choose to receive it, to believe that your, your love is we're, we're worth loving, and God, to believe that you want to use us to be a conduit of your grace, your extravagant, over-the-top, useless beauty to others. So God, just hear our prayers as we enter into this time of silence.